Well, this is the last in the series I've entitled Building Back Better. We've been borrowing a slogan that's out there, political discussions, particularly post-COVID. What kind of society do we want to be? How do we want to use our time? And quite a few people have thought, well, actually, I rather appreciated being able to spend more time with my family. I rather appreciated not rushing them out, not having so many activities. And so people have thought, well, in building back better, we want to build in some of those discoveries we've made, things that we thought about, that we don't often think about, but which we did perhaps during lockdowns and, and the rest. But we as Christians, right? And we've been thinking, building work, the roof, the scaffolding, all the things that those of you who were there at the time, well, that was life, wasn't it, very much there? The appointing work and how long that took. Well, the best part of 10 months in the end it took. But it was done. And beyond it, we've been praying that the church would have a future and a hope. And it wasn't going to be Staffordshire Blue tiles and lime mortar in which that hope lay, but what happened under that roof and inside those walls? People, living stones. And that as we think about that, that future, that actually, yes, we don't want to come back and just be the same. We don't want to be the same people that we were before, two years ago, three years ago, whatever. We want to build that better. And as we think yeah, more about who we are in building Christian lives, and we've thought, haven't we, there about how Christ is the only foundation to it. But nothing, nothing will work. We will be dreadful. We'll do dreadful things, end up as dreadful things. If Christ is not the foundation, if they're off that way, we'll become Pharisees and think that you're saved by your works and we'll, we'll just not have the true Christ. It is a glorious Christ, isn't it? The scripture holds up to us. We'll never, never get the, the whole extent of that. We'll never say, right, I, I got it now. He's more than that. And his glory is, is always going to be more than we could ever properly cope with. And that's wonderful. That's how it should be. Because if he's the son of God, there is always going to be more and more to discover and more and more to know. But he's to be the foundation. And out of that follows the gospel. Out of that flows our hope and where our faith is, the promises of God. They're all yea and amen in him. And we saw that there are false Christs, so we need to avoid them, really light the play, that less than that Christ is not a Christ that's going to give you assurance or peace to the soul. It's not a Christ that's going to be worth preaching from a pulpit. You can't give people good news. That's what he brought, good news. Then really, we're utterly, utterly failing in our duty. We won't be taking out on the doors. We won't be taking out into the streets. We won't be taking out a good message if the Christ of that message is defective. And we thought a bit about that. Well, today, and really this is a sermon that's trying to sort of ram in, oh, far too much, trying to catch some key themes and sort of build them all, if you like, into the sermon this morning. But in our building back better, that's the people that we are, isn't it? Building back better by becoming, well, put it like this, this is your kind of moral lecture of the day, but better people, more Christian people, more spiritual people. Why more God-honoring, God-fearing, Christ-centered, spirit-filled? 
And the Bible has got lots and lots of different ways of explaining and describing who we should be and gives us different emphasis there. They, they kind of relate to each other. So there's nothing in Scripture that just stands alone. Every part of it relates to another part. And of course, all of it finds its center and its best application and its motivation from, again, the person of Christ. But us growing, becoming, being ourselves, built up as the people of God. And we had there, didn't we, in Ephesians chapter 4, a passage that's just dense with material and thought and stimulation and directions that preachers could go, but, but will discipline themselves this morning not to try and go down too many different paths and streets. But look at how it finishes there. This idea, we thought of Christ as a foundation, but we're mixing up the metaphors here because there is in verse 15 our head that speaking the truth in love, and that's contrasted with the false doctrines that toss us to and fro, but now instead stable people speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him. So as he's the foundation, but in terms of where we're kind of growing up, where our building is going, the wood, hay and the straw out, but the, the gold, silver and precious stones in, what's being built up into him, the head. The head, the foundation and the head. Capping everything. The way in which we're, we're looking up. You've got a foundation that's solid. You're glad of that. But where's this going? What's the direction we're, we're heading? What, what's, the, what's this building meant to look like? It's meant to be growing up into him. And it's meant to be resembling him. Not some sort of novel construction. So these buildings you see in cities these days, you know, what is that? You know, the shape of it's weird and the whole design of it's weird. Well, not novelty here, but, but Christ. And from that head, why, well, here we are, the body. As we're a building, or well, now we're a body. We're mixing up the metaphors a bit, but living stones, living kind of ligaments and bones and joints. Well, we're being joined and knit together. And here, all the language of growth and of change and of maturing. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Well, it's, it's quite a, a mouthful, that sentence there. And the language that Paul uses, there's some interesting kind of grammatical constructions and some unique kind of expressions there. But we're getting the general idea without trying to parse every uh, individual phrase, but we're getting the idea that there's, there's work going on, that there's development, and that there's growth, that we're growing, this body is growing as it draws upon the head, and as it then moves towards being like our living head, we're growing, we're edifying, that's a building word, isn't it there, that's building up in love, we're going to come to that towards the end of the sermon this morning, I I hope, and and again, this idea of Joints supplying things, that they're adding something. Without that part there, well, there'll be something missing. But that, that's supplying something. And there's an effective working in us because we've got the Holy Spirit. And he knows 
all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows all about the second person of the Trinity because he's the third person of the Trinity. And he's, he's working to make us effective, something coming from us that is useful. And every part does its share, does its share of that working, that contribution towards the sort of finished work, the building work completed. And if you want to know what it's meant to look like, well, it's earlier in chapter four. Paul is saying, and he speaks about the various ministries and the life of the church in verse 12. And again, the idea is the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what it's about. So just words, words, words. It's ideas that uh, we take away and thoughts that we put into practice. And verse 13 tells us, and this is where it's going, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that's a lifetime's worth of sermons just in that verse there. That, that's where it's to, to go, that we, we are to be in knowledge, more and more being completed in our understanding, what we confess and what we do with what we confess, what we know of the Son of God, growing in that, learning it in that, and coming to the a perfect man, completed, matured, finished product, and to the fullness, the stature of the fullness of Christ, because he is the most mature, completed, and finished man. If you want to know what humanity should look like, you look at him. Just as you want to know what divinity looks like, you look at him. If you want to know what both divinity and humanity in one person looks like, you look at him. And in as much as we can follow him in our humanity, going away from its fallenness and moving more and more towards his likeness, then that's what this building is all about. It's a wonderful work, and we'll be still doing it till the moment we die and go to be with him. Ah, yes, then it's finished. Absolutely. Then we really are. There we are, the perfect man, the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, surely. But the work here on earth is to take us nearer and nearer, nearer and nearer to that, to resemble a living head. What he, and we'll think about this a little bit more in a minute, is bringing into us is his life that we more and more would resemble his life. That that which we are, that which we supply, every part doing its share, is to bring us nearer and nearer to resembling him and the people that we are. What a calling. And when we are doing that, we're building with gold, silver, and precious stones. We're building on the foundation and we're getting nearer to what he is as the living head, resembling him. When the father looks on him, all the father sees in his son is gold, silver, precious stones. That's what his life amounts to there in its richness and its value. No wood, no hay, no straw. There never was, there never was going to be, there never will be. And we are kind of in the process of ridding ourselves of that, the combustible material that won't stand the shocks and the trials of this life and certainly won't endure the judgment. And we instead are to be resembling him more and more. So we have within this a vertical relationship, yours and my relationship with 
with the Lord himself, growing into that likeness. But we have the horizontal relationship, our relationship with each other, encouraging each other in this, in this way of growing, representing to each other more and more Christ-likeness to mirror that, exemplify what this means to learn from each other and see something of what Christ is doing in that person and that person to take that away and then to reflect on it and then to embody that and ourselves to be transformed. We're here to exhort and to encourage, to pattern something of what we should be becoming individually, that then what we are, what we're supplying, what that effective working is bringing is helping this body to grow and for it to edify itself in love. The tragedy is, of course, that very often churches are not that. They are places of self-destruction. They are places where there's decline, not growth, where it's not edifying itself in love, but in there's division. It's tearing itself apart on things, or false doctrines have come in and are absolutely creating havoc there. And people aren't growing towards the living head because they lost sight of him. And they lost sight of the foundation because the foundation is being ripped up and broken up. There's a false Christ and there's a false spirit and it's all kinds of distractions and diversions and deviations from what it should be. And we've seen already, haven't we, the challenges in the previous sermon that come to us. So we're working with an eye on our Lord. We're working with an eye on each other, not a kind of beady eye. And a kind of picky eye, judgmental eye, and critical eye, but a hopeful eye and a loving eye to encourage each other in this wonderful project that actually originates in God, it works through us, and then brings glory to God in the final product, which should more and more resemble his son. Truth, how important that is, the truth. That's the, without that truth there, the truth of who Christ is, what he's done, the fullness of his sacrifice, the totality and absolute sufficiency of it, then we've got little to nothing to talk about. So we best keep our mouth shut because it'll only be bringing people into bondage instead of into the liberty, which is that gospel. And we'll be stable, won't we? Speaking of that truth in love, we'll be stable people, not tossed to and fro, not carried about with every wind of doctrine. And we notice there, don't we, the trickery of men cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There's a lot goes on out there in the pale of the church, and a lot of it isn't good. And there's some pretty pretty underhand stuff and underhand teaching, men and women, on the make, and we have to be wise to turn from them. So our first heading, this has been it, our living head. He is alive, we're alive in him, and that life of Christ works in into us, And we encourage each other in that. And we are actually supplying by our example, spiritual help and spiritual resource to one another. And the church is working at its best when it's building back better and better and better. Well, a few simple thoughts really to sort of carry us on from that opening point. Secondly, we must be prayerful. We must be prayerful. None of this, none of it will happen unless we are. Our prayer life will tell everything that there is to be told about us. It will say what kind of contribution we're going to be able to bring. It will have something about it that will show how far we've got and how far other people are going to be able to go uh, if they travel with us. 
prayer is absolutely vital. We must be prayerful. Well, there is a devil out there, and there are temptations, and there are these cunning men out there. And we'll get to spot them and all their ways a little better the more that we ourselves are in prayer and in communion with the living head. This is not a dead thing, prayer. It's not a stale thing. It's a living thing. As this is a living relationship, prayer is the expression of that relationship we have, the sighs, the longings, everything that still within us causes us that sorrow, the burdens, the joys that we express in prayer are part of our living relationship with him. And our Heavenly Father is pleased when he hears his children calling upon his name, when he finds us leaning upon his son, praying in Jesus' name, and looking to the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to pray. Because in our weakness, we don't know how we ought to pray. And he is there, making intercession within us, driving us on, impelling us, as we're thinking in prayer meeting the other week, to cry out, Abba, Father. Well, there's a lot that happens in prayer. Just a few verses to remind us of what I'm sure we don't really need reminding of, but Ephesians and chapter 6 and verse 18. The armor of God and how does Paul finish it? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The word perseverance tells us that prayer is hard work, that it's hard work, but it's also telling us that it's very worthwhile work and that we have their supplication which we make in the spirit that we're looking to god for help to pray to know how to pray what manner to pray to know what to pray the subjects of prayer and the holy spirit is given to help us in that or in uh, philippians and uh, there in chapter four familiar verses aren't they these but be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now the benefits, the peace, guarding our hearts and minds is connected with the prayer. And that prayer is connected with us actually uncoupling from anxiety. Anxiety is an absolute enemy of prayer. When we pray, it's so full of itself that barely is prayer in the spirit. And so we can see, rather than go down that path, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. It's there, isn't it? With thanksgiving. All that we have in Christ, this, this wonderful spiritual life. Well, we're thankful for that, and we reflect on that often in our prayers. And in Colossians chapter 4, just as a final kind of showing us the place of prayers if we needed to know it. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And Paul invites them also to pray for him. So we must be prayerful. So be gone those excuses why we don't pray, um, why we think we'll leave it to others to pray. Please don't, don't do that. Don't leave it to me or the church officers to pray. We are very frail and weak men ourselves no please you pray doesn't paul ask people to pray pray for him friends we say here is the preacher and pastor of this church do pray for me pray for my fellow church officers pray for each other in our different responsibilities and capacities don't say you're too busy to pray because that is effectively saying that your busyness is more important 
than being with the Lord and praying over these weighty and deep matters. So friends, I put it out there, not saying start this tomorrow, but if you can, maybe in September. It's a new start, isn't it? We're doing the the kind of uh, new term, new year, building back better kind of thought, as in a sense, we, we come to the end of this school year. And maybe August would take us a little bit of a quieter month from some of the busyness. But that suggests this, make it a month of prayer. Be praying that when September comes, yes, there's something been going on in here. We, we've been before the Lord. Looking forward to taking a bit of leave myself, but top of the list of things to do in that time is pray. Less busy on other things. Wonderful. Pray. More time in prayer. And what's not to like about that? We make the prayer meeting. Make the prayer meeting, 7.30 on a Tuesday evening. You make the evening service, make the evening service. We're a bit small in number on a Sunday evening, and the truth is. Come, come worship God. Come, unite your hearts in prayer to him. Let's beseech him. Let's besiege that throne. Pray at home. Pray at home. Find that place. Find that time. Give yourselves to prayer. As I hope to give myself the more and more to prayer, doing it with vigilance, with discernment. We know the days that we're in. We're not praying ignorantly here. We know our own hearts a bit. So we're not asking for something that we're not aware of. We need. We need sanctification. We, we need faith. We, we need to be more loving. And we ask for these things. My next heading, the imperative of holiness. The imperative of holiness. And this isn't a sudden change of topic. Actually, we've been talking about it already. It's all of those things that we're meant to be growing into. It's all that we're meant to be becoming as we become more Christ-like, as we develop into the stature of the fullness of Christ to the measure of the perfect man. And that's not uh, somebody who who now has kind of become an ace in maths and it wasn't before or, you know, can... Does the Greek and the Hebrew and couldn't do that before. It's meaning being Christ-like. That, that's what this means. Who, who is the, the perfect man, the, the completed, the finished product? What, what does he look like? Well, we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to be becoming, growing up. Growing up, you see, it's a, a kind of adulthood. It's a emerging from childhood. That, that's what false doctrine does. It makes us children. It makes us foolish. It makes us unstable and fickle and all the things their children, when they're not at their best, are like. One moment this idea, next moment another idea. Let's say, no, that's, that's not what we're to be. That, that's what children are. But if we're growing up, we're actually growing out of that and growing into maturity and stability as we see it in Christ. That is holiness. Friends, that's what it is. That is holiness. Becoming the kinds of virtues that you see in Christ, the kinds of behaviors and attitudes that you see in him. Growing into that, because those things, the opposites are in our sinful nature. Pride and unbelief and lust and covetousness and idolatry and, and that that's endemic that that's in us and just like viruses peak and then ebb a little bit so our sinful nature sometimes gains an upper hand on us it comes in a bit stronger before we begin to get the machinery of our spiritual life working begin to quell it and subdue it but there it is the imperative of holiness and that will mean the imperative of a life 
of repentance, a life of repentance, not sort of superficial words and uh, think that's done, but wholehearted, real, heartfelt repentance of concern about what we are and all the misshapenness and all the bits that aren't quite fitting with where we know we should be, the people that we should be if we're growing in Christ-likeness. And it's looking at those things and with an eye to the Lord, asking for the Lord's help, we say, this must not be. Repentance says, this must not be. This is wrong and it must change. And that whole process of change, rarely affected overnight, needs work, needs a life of repentance, a constancy of it, applying ourselves with God's help to that process of change whereby we are growing up into him. So there is the imperative of holiness, leaving old habits, leaving old ways, old ways of thinking, old ways of relating, old ways in which we're constantly dredging up repeat offences or old historic things that still live with us and still depress our spirits. But it's finding God's help to overcome those things, leave them behind, move on, growing up into him, becoming more and more holy, not dominated by fear, not dominated by guilt, being happier people. That's a thought, isn't it? Joy says of the disciples who who are in a time of affliction that they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. That's not to say two different things. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruit is joy. And that we would have that, something about us, something warm, engage, something that's getting through life. I'm not saying, oh, the knocks just disappear. They don't. They won't. There's no sort of perfect world that we're going to be building, building back better. Great, all your problems never going to touch you again. They're not. The afflictions are going to come. The trials and the tribulations will come. But we'll have more, more in Christ to be able to deal with it. Contentment in him, joy in him. Peace and satisfaction in his finished work and the richness of all he brought and how he's poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church, including us, and the indwelling power of the Spirit and finding comfort in those things. We are not called to be weird. Often churches, when it comes to holiness, somehow think weird is what covers it. Strangeness, oddity, behavior that is grating. They're not warm people. They're sort of cold and standoffish. There's, there's something, something not attractive there. And I don't think that's holiness. I think Christ is looking for something more than that. Well, my final heading, and really is just saying what we've already been saying again, a living relationship. It's a living relationship. It's a happening thing, not static. Not as though holiness, we've sorted that, seen that, that's it completed. No, it's always, we're always understanding more what holiness means because we're always understanding more of who Christ is and learning that what we were doing before was wrong, or that we had the wrong attitude there, that we were bringing something else. There was some wood, there was some hay, there was some straw, and we need to get rid of it. There's repentance, Let's get rid of it. That won't do anymore. It's got to be gold, silver, precious stones, Christ-like. And that is what we are therefore to bring more and more. And just at the beginning of Ephesians 4 there, and 
In verse 2, the calling which we have, this summoning of us towards this, this growth towards him. But it has lowliness in verse 2 and gentleness and long-suffering and bearing with one another in love. Well, it's, you might say, that's not spectacular. Uh, we wanted signs and wonders. We wanted something a bit more kind of happening. I tell you, friends, that's the happening. That's when we'll know it's happening when we see those kinds of qualities, because that's Christ-likeness. He, he was like that, and we're to be like that, and the Holy Spirit is shaping us to be like that. And none of those things come easy, do they? To be lowly and gentle and long-suffering and bear with people uh, in love, that, that's, that's hard work. And that's holiness. Holiness is hard work. Prayer is hard work. But they all connect together in this wonderful life that we're caught up in, which includes the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just really to draw upon, very briefly, uh, a few verses from John 14 and John 15, where something of this dynamic existence, this, this growing, this, this happening life that is the Christian life, is just laid out for us a little. So just to take a few instances, uh, John 14, and there in verse 15, just a few verses on from that. If you love me, keep my commandments, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And he comes to the apostles there, for mostly, that's who he's addressing, in the person of the Spirit. And the Spirit is not some separate entity entirely from the Lord Jesus Christ, not at all. On the contrary, the Spirit has come not to advertise himself, but to advertise Christ. He has not come to say that uh, I am here, dwell upon me, but I am here, dwell upon him. Think on him. And so we can see there the, the prayers of the Son that uh, the Spirit will be given. Well, we know that happened on the day of Pentecost, but we we also know this, that there's obedience, isn't it? Keeping my commandments. There is a, an act of our desire, and our will. There is an act of us sort of bringing ourselves to bear upon a life of lowliness and gentleness and bearing with one another in love. And there's all the help of heaven promised. I think here just a once and forever installment that Christ prays for the church. And there's the Holy Spirit poured out in that measure on the day of Pentecost, mission accomplished. But he's still praying for us. And he'll pray all the more for us if there's a desire in our hearts to be building back better, keeping his commandments, moving towards holiness. And there's a promise there of help, a helper, greater measure of help. Never exhaust all the language of what the Holy Spirit does and is, filling and baptizing. They extend to what these words mean. We'll never fathom it fully, this side of glory. But there he comes. He's been given again and again and a fuller measure, more of the life for the Spirit within us and how there is abiding with us forever just brings us more and more joy. John 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, so his same territory as verse 14, it is he who loves me. Oh, we can say we love Christ, but we'll only say it if that imperative of holiness is, is there with us. And what happens then? And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him 
I manifest myself to him. Well, yes, we're, we're loved by the Lord. Yes, yes. But do we know it? Do we feel it? Does this uh, a kind of living, active experience in you? Well, the promise is that it can be. So go on obeying and go on keeping his commandments. Because in this living relationship, we're the body and there's the head or there's the foundation giving us solidity and stability. Well, then in all of this, then he comes and the father, as it were, by the spirit comes and manifesting, manifesting Christ to us. That's not weird stuff, by the way. That's not some weird vision that comes to you or to me. That's his reality. That's telling us who he is. And that reality being a comfort to us, not just a, a, an abstract fact, not some just, a, you know, something there and that's true and that's true. And we nod and we say, sure it is, but it doesn't mean anything. No, it means a lot. And we're comforted and we are assured in that. So it's a living relationship. And he comes and he manifests himself to us and we obey him and we show faith in him. We pray to him uh, and he comes and then he he works in us. And John 15, and just in verse seven there, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. And that's not a superficial name it and claim it promise that you just follow this and that wonderful new car will be out in the marketplace there that we'll be having to find three spaces in this crowded marketplace to fit in that vast machine that will be there. Or I'll be coming by a helicopter and just needing a sort of landing pad there cleared for me to land. Well, that's your heart's desire. I suggest your heart's desire is in the wrong place and so remind me if that's what I was expecting as a pastor and a preacher this is far more serious solid stuff here obedience desiring to honor god wanting him first and wanting other people to want him first and we ask that that desire good desires holy desires there's a promise here it'll be done for you it'll be done for you something is going to happen in you the sun will be manifested more in you and you won't be the same again There'll be something further that he'll add to you. You won't be the same again. And that's how you'll bear much fruit, that growing, that uh, you'll have something more to supply, something more to, to be that part that shares something. And all of that language all holds together here in this living relationship. So we say goodbye immorality, goodbye uncleanness. We repent of that. Repent of all that our sordid culture and this Evil, unclean day rubs off on us. We don't want it rubbing off on us. We want to be clear of it. We don't want to be that the world is so often manipulative, getting its own way and trying to work out how to work out people and press the right buttons to make them do what you want them to do. No, we don't want that. We don't want carnality. That was there in First Corinthians 3, wasn't it? People. As being sinful people, all the tendencies that they have, factions and groupings, boasting in men, those who credited Paul with perhaps being top dog. Others, I think Peter's better than him. Apollos, actually, he's really caught my eye. Very impressive. And that attitude of superiority is really what it is, of proud boasting in men. 
And Paul says, not that. Don't slavishly follow people. Don't slavishly follow ministers and preachers. We've all got to learn for ourselves. We've all got a living relationship of our own with Christ that we then bring into the life of the fellowship. That's how it should work. Don't be a slave of men. Don't defend them when they're wrong. Don't uh, follow them when they're leading people astray. Don't be proud and dismissive, as so often people are. Ministers can be that. Or think that we've got an inside track here. We're the people with the knowledge here. And be loving. Finishing with this. Could have started with it. Could have had it there in capital letters. Be be loving. This is where, uh, again, in Ephesians, uh, we get the get the picture of this, don't we, there? And bearing with one another in love. You could read First Corinthians chapter 13 and a host of places. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Or it's as difficult as that. Love. Showing love. Bearing with people. Forgiving people. Thinking the best of people. Not wanting to lord it over people, but treating them with respect, treating them with real care. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that's Timothy's got that. He's not in it for himself. It's not what he can get out of it. But the service he's giving has got sort of something racking up for him. He's, he's getting brownie points for this. There's something genuine about the man and the way that he gives himself. There's something genuine there. And Paul is very taken with this and commends him to the church for this, that we're concerned for each other and our, our welfare, our spiritual progress, your, your faith, your, your love, your maturing. How's it going? Are you, are you getting nearer? Where, where, the, where the struggles, where, where the battles happening? Can we pray for you with that? A real care and a real concern. And keeping to, isn't it a concern for those who are perishing? To keep our love burning bright for them. They can be pretty abusive. They can be pretty insulting. They can be very ridiculing and belittling of us. But we go back to them. We're not sentimental about them. We, we know what they're thinking out there. We're not uncritical of them. But we are very concerned for them. Concerned that they're angry against the church. Angry against God. Concerned for them that they're living for nothing. The things that are going to collapse, that are worthless now, and be more than worthless when they're burnt up at the judgment throne. And we're concerned for them. We can't promise ourselves that there's a revival coming tomorrow. We have to go to other places and other ministries, and we'll be only too happy to tell you and promise you there's a revival in a week's time, a month's time, somewhere or other. Hasn't happened, has it? And maybe it's not going to happen. We're going to have to learn to live with this day that we're in building back better, but having to do it when the culture is pressing against us. Can't promise that uh, one more prayer meeting, one more evangelistic thrust will do it. But we want to stay there, concerned, loving, front foot evangelism, prepared to give that reason for the hope that we have. Well, I'll finish there. Wow, we could have had a month's worth, two months' worth of sermons entitled building back better. And I could be persuaded myself that there'd still be more to be said on any of those subjects and more subjects. But I hope anyway, something of the vision of what Christ died to obtain, the church that he purchased with his own blood, 
the people that we're meant to be as we have Christ as our foundation or and Christ as our living head. We look up to him. We encourage each other to resemble him, to be more like him, to serve in the way that he does. Well, may God help me to do that. May he help you to do that, to be that, to be becoming that. Because it is never finished, is it? It's ongoing. It's growing. Just as our relationship with the Lord is a living, dynamic one, our relationship with each other, I hope, is a living, dynamic one. As as we as a church, as, as you identify perhaps with who we are here, that we're growing up to become more and more resembling him, our living head. Or may God help us to be that, to grow in that, to have more of all that Christ has promised to us in the word of God. Amen.